Namaskar and welcome to NFL Masala. I'm your co-host Anand. And I'm your other co-host Rakshak. Welcome to the 13th episode of NFL Masala where we talk about all the latest happenings in the NFL with a little bit of spice. So today we are going to kick off the episode with some Dhamakadar news and then we're going to talk about a important deadline that has come up in the NFL schedule at this point and that is the 53 roster deadline and uh, for more on that Rakshak is going to talk about that but we're going to talk about that after the Dhamakadar news segment and then after that we're going to do a breakdown of the AFC South division which is actually pretty interesting when you take a deeper dive into it and so i hope you guys enjoy this one and let's get started with some dhamakadar news and unfortunately this week is one of those weeks where we just do not want to talk about the news that is happening in the nfl because uh there was a the the punter for the Buffalo Bills, former punter named Matt Areza, who was um, drafted as a punt god uh, from San Diego State. Quote unquote. Quote just, unquote. Yeah, just just quote unquote has now been alleged to be involved in a gang rape situation of a 17 year old outside of a off campus home where Areza lived, and it was with two other uh, of his roommates. Uh, at that time, she was underaged, and this this is because of a civil lawsuit which was filed August 25th in the San Diego County Superior Court. Um, apparently, now obviously, Matt Areza has denied this, but there were some, uh, you know, reports where it indicated that he knew uh he actually confessed that he had um you know uh what is it actions with the uh 17 year old that wasn't this specific thing so even if he didn't convent uh confess to this action he still did say that you know he was there with the 17 year old and then he also said, um, I look forward to quickly setting the record straight. So we'll see on what happens, but I don't want to get too much into the details of this case. You guys can look look at this on your own time because it's too disheartening of a scenario to talk about. But it is something that we should talk about because apparently, you know, there were some reports that the Bills knew of an allegation um of this specific allegation you know uh in like late july early august and if that's the truth if that's the truth that they did know and like now the question becomes did all the other teams in uh you know prior to being drafted did they know about this allegation because this is it's it's now it's not like this guy was arrested for smoking weed one day it's this is serious allegation of a minor you know it's it's disgusting needless needless to be said like you guys can look at this on your own time i don't want to talk about this any more than i have i just wanted to bring this to to y'all's attention because it needed to be said and now on to more uh positive news more normal news i'm gonna give it to dakshak 
All right. Um, thank you very much, Anand, for that. And with this off, um, I actually had some good news from my Eagles. This this situation that or this this breaking news that I'm gonna I'm about to tell you it's the equivalent to uh to like a reverse Uno card. You know what I mean, Anand? Mm-hmm. And the reason being is right after the um the third preseason game between the Eagles and the Dolphins, um this was the story was broken down in, on August twenty fourth by by um Philadelphia insider Dave Zingaro. He's um he's a legend at the game, so mad respect to the guy. Ugo Amadi, the recently acquired um defensive back from the Seattle Seahawks Sea Chickens. I have to get used to it now. See what you made me do. On it's okay. It's okay. Look, if you want to say the Sea Chickens, you can say the Sea Chickens. If you want to say the Seahawks, you can say it. But I will forever call them the Sea Chickens because they are a bunch of Sea Chickens. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, Amadi, so apparently, guess what happened to the guy? Like, nine days after the Eagles acquire him, he didn't do so hot. And guess what? Nine days after being traded to the Eagles in exchange for Eagles legend J.J. Ortega Whiteside. <laughs> Guess what? Amadi got traded to the Tennessee Titans in a swap of late round draft picks in 2024. Nine days after they acquire Amadi from that trade on August 15th, this trade occurred. You And the purpose of signing Amadi to the, uh, for the Eagles was supposed to add in that defensive back depth because the because currently if you were to look at the Eagles roster right now, the weakest position is safety. I mean, if you're looking with a lineup like Marcus Epps, Anthony Harris, Andre Shashere, Kayvon Wallace, Jaquiski Tart, um, I would say Josiah Scott, and now UDFA Reed Blankenship. It's like. If if I were like hearing these names, Anand, does this strike? Do you recognize any names on that on that safety names that I gave you gave out to you? Not really. Exactly my point. And apparently he didn't impress. He only he only played one preseason game against the Browns, and it didn't look so well. And he was supposed to add defensive a defensive back depth. He was supposed to play both either compete for a corner and or a safety position, provide some competition to that Eagles lineup, to the Eagles um, defensive back room, but apparently he laid an egg like any other bird team. And if you were to look at this on a long-term basis, Howie Roseman literally traded away J.J. Ortega-Whiteside for draft compensation. And it's like they traded him for Amadi, and and they traded Amadi back to the Titans for late round for in exchange for late round picks. I don't know what Howie Roseman is thinking, but apparently he likes to trade with the Titans, and the Titans end up getting like they end up getting like the bottom scraps. And Howie Roseman turned nothing into something. This is like unlike the Dallas Cowboys when they traded away one of their best wide receivers, Amari Cooper, to the Cleveland Browns for like what a late round pick. I mean, credit to Howie Roseman and <laughs> turning up nothing into something, man. That's, I mean, this is Howie making moves already. That's all I could say. <laughs> all righty. Now, before we get into the preseason analysis, I did want to give one shout out to the uh, Indian men's cricket team that is 
who are playing in the Asia Cup right now, which is a uh, championship tournament of all um, cricket-playing nations in Asia. And we had a match against Pakistan. And oh my God, did we win! Oh, dude, we it was like a nail biter. That match, I loved it. We they required six runs off of three deliveries to win the game, and Hardik Pandya was like, "Don't worry, bro, I got you," and he smacked it for six, and that was Man. just fantastic. And and you know that kind that game kind of reminds me of, dude, like the way what? it was like so uh, completely intact. It reminded me of the Bills. It, it, remi- it had that feelings of like the yes, Bills, the Chiefs, Bills Chiefs game. Playoff game. Yes, it was yes, a complete exactly. shootout. Both teams. The, I mean, but in that game, both that te- um, both teams did not know what the meaning of defense was. But mm-hmm. here, in but here between Pakistan and India, it's like for those that are like completely new to the cricket game, it's like you're pitting off like two rivals. Imagine the Packers and the Vikings, or the Eagles and the Cowboys. Both teams that have really good talent at both ends, and they're competing. They're like they're like really big rivals. And the way that that match proceeded was like a good a mixture of both offense and defense. Defense and bowling and fielding, offense and and batting. But man, that was a classic. Yeah, that's that's one match that we'll forever, you know keep in our hearts because what happened last year when Pakistan defeated India, that was a fluke. We all know it's a fluke. It was a fluke. It was a fluke. But yeah, so I wanted to just say that out there. Congratulations to the Indian men's cricket team on beating Pakistan. And now on to the preseason analysis. I'll go first. This was the last week of the preseason. And so, um, you know, it was a lot more uh, time given for the backups. And... The Packers lost to the Chiefs, so it's not that big of a deal. But like it was, it was more of how we lost. We only scored ten points, which is not good. But it was really um, indicative of the of the backups that we had. It was like it really didn't matter. In the end of the day, it really does matter. It just mattered uh, how uh, the only thing that mattered was how our key players played. And so, with that regard, in, in that regard. Jordan Love looked markedly better. Um, it seemed like he felt more comfortable in the pocket. And as I always said before, you can really see the zip on the ball, which is what he's known for, right? He's known for having a big arm. He's known for being slightly mobile, um, you know, being able to rush out of the pocket and, you know, rush for yards, but also have a lot more out-of-pocket plays. He's not as mobile as, you know, Russell Wilson or or, like, or Lamar Jackson or something like that, but he's mobile enough like Patrick Mahomes where he can go out of the pocket and make off-schedule plays. And um, we could really see that. Now, the issue is his accuracy, and this is what we saw in the in the first game against the 49ers. We saw a little bit more in the Saints, and we also saw it here where um, his one interception that happened in the... So they they had the last possession, well, what should have been the last possession of the first half, where we got the ball. Um, we had like 37 seconds ish left, and all we had to do was go down into the field goal range. We had, I think, we had three timeouts at that point, um, and 
what happened is that we got to around midfield. We had some sort of penalty and we were pushed back a little bit. And so with about like 20 seconds or so, Jordan Love threw a pick. And it's not the way that he threw a pick. It's not like it was a Hail Mary pick. It was he still had some time to make some more uh, throws in the middle of the field or towards the corner, you know, like intermediate throws about 10 to 15 yards to get into field goal range, maybe one or two more of those throws to get into field goal range. He didn't have to go for the deep shot, Uh, but he did. He threw it in double coverage and the ball actually sailed over the Packers receiver and the, uh, the corner that was running with the Packers receiver and went to the free safety who intercepted it and he ran back. Uh, he ran back to like midfield or something like that. But it just shows that his accuracy still needs to be, his accuracy and ball judgment still needs to be uh, worked on and improved on. And that's going to happen with more practices. So we'll see as he practices more throughout the season. Hopefully he's given more chances with the uh, number one offense. In, in Packers practices, but also Aaron Rodgers has to practice with the new wide receivers, so that is still there. Yeah, that is that is one thing that he has to improve on. And the offense overall has to improve on red zone possessions because we couldn't punch it in when it was first and goal from the one-yard line. Like, that is unacceptable. No matter what team you put there, uh, put on the field, whether it's the number one offense or number two offense, you have to punch it in from first and goal from the one-yard line. And that was because of penalties and missed opportunities. Penalties really brought it back. Um, there was, a, uh, I think there was a holding penalty or, uh, no, it was a, a illegal formation penalty that pushed us back. And um, the missed opportunity was that Jordan Love tried to throw it to Tyler Davis, but again, it was in double coverage, and that wasn't completed, so he missed out on that. Now, we got, we should have had that touchdown, but also the refs gave a terrible ball spot, uh, like placement, when Patrick Taylor dived in, like he should have had that touchdown, but apparently it wasn't given, so he still had that, but regardless, you still have to score on first and goal from the one-yard line. It is inexcusable to have uh, to come away with just three points from that position. That has to be a touchdown every single time. Now, in terms of the rushing game, I really liked B.J. Goodson. Um, he looks like a solid three or four once Kylan Hill comes back from the pup list or the uh, players unable to perform list. Uh, so I don't know, like, this will come up later in the 53-man roster segment, but I don't know if we'll be able to keep him. But he does look like a solid number three back in relief for Aaron Jones because he's also got that speed and shiftiness and the burst out of the backfield, and he's pretty, uh, uh, you know, elusive also. So he's pretty good for a number three backup, um, and I really hope we get to keep him or at least put him on the practice squad throughout the season so there's that for bj goodson in terms of wide receivers <clears throat> romeo dubs and samari Touré made some really nice plays especially samari Touré. i really want to see the seventh rounder out of nebraska stay with us especially on the active roster if not on the practice squad because 
If not, other teams are going to pick him up. He's just he's really shown the capability of being, you know, a number four, number five wide receiver, which is, you know, pretty influential come playoff time for these deep uh, teams, especially, uh, you know, in this last game, he had six receptions for 83 yards, averaging 13.8 yards in this previous game. And, you know, that is a pretty sizable number, uh, especially for a seventh round pick. I really hope that he stays, but but I'm not sure if we'll keep seven to eight wide receivers on our active roster because we have five people set, right? We have Alan, uh, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Christian Watson, Omari Rogers, and Sammy Watkins, right? So we have those five guys that we're not really going to let go. Dubs has to be there, so he's number six. Now, in terms of seven or eight, I really hope we keep Ture. Um if it comes down to seven wide receivers, I want Ture instead of Winfrey because he's the other guy on the outside looking in. Um, we also have apparently Travis Fulgham, ex-Eagles um, guy. Fulgamania! Yeah, he's going to make he had, You know what? I have a beat the dull moment for you, my man. Just out of, okay. just out of this. If Travis Fulgham is able to replicate that 2020 season that he had first when he actually led the league in like receptions or something like that, as I'll call it during the COVID season, he better be on your 53, man. I'm just saying, Travis Fulgham is going to find that form and he's going to be in the Packers 53. <laughs> no, but like, I honestly, honestly, like the Packers have you know have history of sticking with their guys and their draft picks instead of giving up on them very quickly and so i really think it should be samari Ture at number wide receiver number seven and i really hope that he gets in because we need him on our team juan winfrey can probably be on the um uh probably be on the practice squad but i really hope we get samari Ture. on the defensive side the defense made some stops but they also let up some really uh, key big plays to tight ends uh, and there was one that was like a busted coverage where the cornerback wasn't uh, in coordination with the safety and they let the tight end get really open on a corner route and that was just like it was like the corner was you know on the sideline the safety was close to the middle of the field and that middle gap was so wide open you know a plane could have went through that gap like it was terrible um so that has to be worked on tackling was pretty on point besides his own coverage man coverage was pretty decent especially from the linebackers and especially from quay walker there was like one of the key uh plays and highlights where where quay walker had a nice solo tackle where he uh, it was it was a throw to i think a running back in the flat and quay walker made the quick adjustment to get there fast and lay the hit on him and make sure that the that the player was you know completely tackled and it wasn't a missed tackle. So that was pretty good. Special teams needs much more consistency. Um, we need more of that uh, 49ers game, you know, where we had solid punt returns, solid kick coverage, solid punt coverage. Like that needs to be our goal. And that's pretty much it from the Packers like preseason. In terms of my overall notes for the Packers during this preseason, I really like the defense. I like some of our backups. Like, uh, you know, Micah Abernathy is the safety. He's He was pretty good. Um, and he was actually uh, 
person that Matt LaFleur took interest in, in terms of wide receivers. I really like our draft picks. And unfortunately, Christian Watson has been injured, so he didn't have the ability to show off his talent. And we'll have to see in the regular season, uh, you know, exactly who he is. Jordan Love has made some marked improvements uh, since last year, since the Chiefs game. And so we'll see if he can continue improving throughout the season. And, you know, special teams is such a relief to see them not having two blown kicks every game or like muffed punt or, you know, some mistake happening in the special teams. At least I don't care if we're even in the top 20 in terms of special teams coverage and punk punting. As long as we're not the dead last ranked uh, special teams unit, I don't care. You know, as long as we don't lose games for the Packers as a special teams unit, it doesn't matter to me. And I really see some improvements uh, in, in that arena. So that was good. Um, that's that's pretty much it from the Packers. I really hope, like I said, and I've been kept on repeating, I really hope we have some more to Ray. But yeah. That's that's pretty much it from my side. What about you, Doc Shuck? Well, uh, well, I mean, you made some really good points, and definitely you know more about the Packers than I do. So, so hoping for the best for your team. Before I um, give my analysis on the on the Eagles' last two preseason games, um, there was a bit of a breaking news that I really want to address. Um, this had to deal with Washington's um, Washington Commanders running back Brian Robinson. Um, on Sunday evening, he was um, he was shot multiple times during a possible attempt robbery in D.C. However, he was taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. He's he's um, currently stable, and he's in, he's in stable and condition. He was like apparently joking with Ron with um, head coach Ron Rivera, but um, hearing about this and and the fact that he's recovering and and also hearing from the coach saying that he could be playing this year after being shot um, it, because he's recovering. But other than that, man, um, wishing you nothing but the best safe recoveries to you, um, Brian Robinson. Um, just stay safe, y'all. That's, all, that's, um, that's the breaking news I wanted to um, show up. I thought this was like also important. Um, yeah. No, you're <clears throat> right. This is, this is very important. Uh, all, the, all the best to you. Uh, in your recovery, Brian Robinson. I hope you get better. I hope to see you on the field and uh, just stay safe. Yeah. Stay safe, y'all. Okay, now on to my Eagles. Now, if you remember, on a, the last like the the day that we were podcasting episode twelve for the AFC East breakdowns, there was a preseason game that happened on Sunday, August twenty first. Eagles versus the Browns. The final score was twenty one twenty. And a couple of things that I noticed. Um, the first team, like your main starters, like you no, know, like Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, AJ Brown, Quez Watkins, and like some majority of like the offensive line, they didn't play. They didn't play at all. But a couple of spots that I noticed, like the defense, they looked off against the Cleveland Browns rush. And surprisingly, this is where I have to give like low grades for Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean. Because those were one of the very few starters that played during that game. And you're seeing guys like Josh Dobbs, the backup to the Browns, pulling, avoiding a blitz, and then running for a good 30-plus yards for a first down? Are you freaking kidding me? Second team or third team defense? Man, it was, um, it was very tough to watch. 
But I was very happy to see Gardner Minshew um, managing the game. He was 14 for 1,742 yards. So that, that's one of the good marks that I have for Minshew. And another thing I saw was the Eagles offensive line backups are so freaking good. I mean, you have to give credit to Jeff Stoutland. If he's able to coach up guys like Landon Dickerson, Jordan Mailata, Jason Kelsey, Isaac Samalo and Lane Johnson to be like the number, like those starters along with the Eagles offensive line to be like the number one ranked O-line. I cannot wait for what the backups are going to do. And Cam Jurgens, I was skeptical about that second round pick that the Eagles made for this draft being the replacement to Jason Kelsey as a center. That big boy could hold on his own, man. I really like it. And with that strong offensive line, you could see that I noticed that Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott had a, co- a good couple of strong runs. They both had a touchdown in that game. And I would like to talk about some of my favorite UDFAs that I've seen. One cornerback, Josh Job from Alabama, he made some good strong coverage plays, although he was a targeted a lot, but he had a couple of four, tackle, four tackles with three assists. Um, also, UDFA safety, Reed Blankenship, he made some great impact plays, although it was like late in the game. And I noticed one play where I think that one of the Browns running backs was trying to like die for a third and, for a third and five. He was about to cross the marker, but Reed Blankenship makes a nice block and a great tackle to steer him away. And uh, I mean, a UDFA from Middle Tennessee making these kinds of plays, man. Reed Blankenship is, is competing, and I didn't see any movement from Jaquaski Tart, the free agent signee, but um, he made that one fourth and one stoppage play. So, I mean, it was late, but it's good. Then when the third team took over, this, Anand, you have to hear this out, my man. I have one thing I want to say. Devin Allen, Olympian, uh, Olympian hurdler. Welcome to the NFL. His one, he only had like one catch in the game, but it was a 55-yard bomb from Reed Sunet. One play, he nice. goes on an out route. Like Reed Sunet's like shooting the ball. Like, and I'm streaming this. I'm like, oh my God, what the hell are you doing, Sunet? Please don't, please let it not be a pick because that defense, that offense has, was disappointing me. I was literally about to shut it off. But when I see Allen make that catch, Getting that touchdown and then and then his celebrate his touchdown celebration is him running hurdles. <laughs> Man, I love it. I I I definitely he definitely has that speed and I want to say, man, welcome to the NFL. I do hope you make it. In. I do hope you make one of the cuts. And another backup that I saw was Dion Kane. He had five catches for sixty six yards. And some of those, and he made some really good contested catches, especially on fade route, especially like over the shoulders and like, and I thought I saw some plays like that of him mossing over some backup defenders, but good, but goodness, he could be competition against Jalen Rager. So, so I mean, hey, if anyone can get signed over Jalen Rager, I will be a happy man. Packers, if you want Jalen Rager, I will give it to you free for like what? A Klondike bar. Even and I'm appealing to the Ravens fan base. If you need a wide receiver, we will give you Jalen Rager free of charge. Man, we wouldn't even, we wouldn't even trade Jalen Rager for a cup of water, let alone a <laughs> What are you talking about, bro? 
Bro, I'm desperate, man. <laughs> I want to get rid of this. <laughs> but, all right, man. <laughs> but with all the upside I see on, from the Eagles and Browns, you would expect to see some, you would expect them to do a little bit of progress against the Dolphins, but my God, you want to know what the final score was, dude? What? 48 to 10. They didn't score a touchdown until oh, the no. fourth quarter. I saw at one point it was what, like 37 to 3 or something like that? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, like my reactions, I was like screaming in front of like, of this like like this very small HP monitor that I had, I'm like screaming, "What the hell are you doing? Backup offense and backup defense!" Like it was so dismal. Again, the starters didn't play, and and I have to say this: and with the Dolphins playing their first their first string their first team, yeah, congratulations to beat a bunch of second string and third string. But man, to a tongue of Iola's arm to Tyree Kill on the first couple of plays. This is freaking unfair, my man. <laughs> I feel, I, and I really feel sorry for the corners, for the, for like the, the backups for the Eagles, like on the defensive backs. And I fear for the moment, like if Darius Slay, James Bradbury, Zach McPherson, and um, Avante Maddox are injured, what the hell is our backup defensive backs are gonna do to handle this, a speed level like Tyreek Hill? Like Hill is a burner, and. I don't know what the Chiefs were doing and not re-signing Tyreek Hill on this one, but my God. And dismal showing by the, the, the second and third teams. What we, I thought I saw positives on the first, uh, with the Browns, it, it, it disappeared and evaporated against the Dolphins. The Dolphins of all teams. And, and if you want to talk about dismal, Reed Sinet, 12 for 22, 104 yards, one interception. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally about to pop a vein talking about Reed I would not be surprised if he gets cut. And Deion Kane, I thought he would, and, and another dud, Deion Kane, out of eight catches, out of eight, out of eight targets, he drops, he only catches two targets. And, and honestly, with the way that the, 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 the receivers were playing, I think it might appear that Jalen Rager has a starting job in the 53-man roster. Like, all the dreams turn into nightmares on them. Like, uh, it's just something that you can console me with. Can you console me, my man? It's okay. Can you help They're a brother? Just backup players, bro. They're not going to be in the starting rotation. Don't worry about it. <sighs> okay. But there were some good positive highlights that I saw. And again, it goes back to Devin Allen. The guy is not only a good wide receiver, but he's made some pretty strong special team plays. He's, he, I would say he's more, he would look to be more of a special teams gunner. You know, like when you do your punt, your punt, your punt returns, the guy, like I could see Devin Allen. I saw one play where he actually forced a muff punt catch, like a muff punt. The Dolphins turned over at their nine. The Eagles get the ball back for first and goal in the Dolphins. Guess what happens? They do not score. They do not score because of penalties by the backup offensive line. Ah, that's so frustrating. But doesn't see because you want your team to do so well. But I mean, some of the highlights I had to get. I had to admit, Devin Allen had a strong showing. Kenny Gabriel had like what 
like only had like two rushes, two carries, and then that was it. Reed Sinet was a poor man, and J- and the majority of the running back snaps went to Jason to Jason Huntley and Kennedy Brooks, and of course Huntley eleven carries, ninety three yards, but the only the only touchdown came at garbage time. Fourth quarter, Jason Huntley runs for sixty three yards, for sixty seven yard touchdown, untouched. Yeah, that's good, but gee, could you have done it a little bit earlier? I mean, this is the point where backups, they need to show up. If they want to prove to their coaches that they can make a part of that 53-man roster and or even the practice squad, they have to deliver. I'm seeing Devin Allen, a guy who hasn't touched a football since 2016, make some pretty damn good plays. I mean, scoring a 55-yard bomb touchdown against the Browns and, and playing some really good special teams. And and another one, and again, my UDFA top pick has to be Reed Blankenship. The guy, the the safety, like even with all we even with all the difficulties he's been facing against like Tyree Kill and this cart and this cart and this catchrel tight end from the Dolphins, I really could care less about that last name, but Blankenship was showing more than Jaquaski Tart. And that's speaking for something else. And I saw some really good Really good um, defensive plays by Kyron Johnson, um, six-round linebacker who could also play defensive end, and and Jacoby Stevens, six-round pick last year. He, he hasn't been showing well, but one. But then I also saw Grand Calcaterra make some nice plays. He had a good strong showing, but he messed up on a route in which, reads like there's one route on um I, that I want to talk to you about. Reads like. This was uh, one of the touchdowns that the Dolphins scored was on a pick six. Ray Sinet, he's uh, like Calcaterra's route is supposed to be like I want to say like a five five yard ten yard out. He runs ten yards forward and then he comes back in to run like a hitch. However, I think what I saw Sinet do was like he either missed the throw or he didn't look or he he like overthrew um, Calcaterra and instead. And instead, like the the Dolphins' corners, cornerback can't like reads the play easily, steps in front, catches it, returns it for a pick six. But yeah, like it's just um, it's, it's unfortunate because 53 man roster cuts are happening today. And so, can you talk more about the 53 man roster and what that means? Yes. So basically, all 32 NFL teams. They have to trim their roster to their their actual playing roster to 53 players. Those that are actually cut, those that are like not part of that 53 man roster team, they are usually like UDFA's, undrafted free agents, and other players that have not performed to expectations. And that deadline to announce that 53 rosters it is 4:15 Eastern time tomorrow on Tuesday, August 30th, and then on Wednesday. Teams can start getting those released players back after after those players pass through waivers, like injury wa- health waivers, and they can sign them to their respective practice squads. You need which you need about 16. And so far, I've seen the Eagles cut from like 90 players to like 72. And um, and one of them is Jaquaski Tart because the boy didn't show up. So this is a warning to all of you guys: get your get your teams ready. 53 mans, show up or shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same thing on the Packers. They only released so far just one player, uh, Ty Summers. He has not played that well in terms of special teams. 
Um, he had many missed tackles and like he was just not good too. So they let him go. Now the whole thing about the waivers, uh, to people who don't know what that means is basically there's a certain sequence of teams that have access to the players first. Basically the better teams have a later chance of picking these players up and the worst teams or the teams last year who didn't perform that well have a higher chance of picking uh, these players up. And that's what, that's, that's what it means to go into waivers. Now to clear the waivers, that means all 32 teams have to have passed on this, uh, on this player for them to actually clear the waivers and be, you know, free agents again to be signed by any of the 32 teams, regardless of how they performed last year. And so what most people try to do is, like, if, if the teams really don't find that many good players, they won't really track them in waivers, and they'll probably have to take them after waivers um, and, you know, just try to fill up the practice squad. And the practice squad is a group of, like as I said, 16 players that can float in and out uh, throughout the entire season onto active rosters uh, of uh, of different teams and uh, people can sign uh, players on practice squads of other teams. Like let's say, um, let's say we put Travis Fulgham on the, on the practice squad and then the Eagles want Travis Fulgham back. Then they can sign Travis Fulgham off of our practice squad, you know. And so those things can happen. But basically, the practice squad is a, a second chance for these players. It's not a guaranteed spot. As always, they can easily be cut from the practice squad. And that's typically where uh, the teams make most of their cuts from, is from the practice squad. Because, as I said, they're floating players and they're not really on active rosters. And so uh, that is the whole concept of the practice squad. Now that we finished the Tamakada news segment, let's go to the breakdown of the AFC South division. I'll get started. I'm going to say that the Colts are going to be the best team in this division. And they're going to beat out the Titans only because I trust Matt Ryan more than I trust Ryan Tannehill. And here's why. Ryan oh, Tannehill, yeah, Ryan Tannehill was not that effective last year, if you really think about it. Yeah, they had the better record than the Falcons, but the Falcons were abysmal because they just didn't have the right team. Now, if once now because Matt Ryan is on the is on the Colts, he has Frank Reich with him. He has a pretty strong defense with him. He has a strong offensive line, which he didn't have in the Falcons. Uh, at the Falcons, he has uh, a pretty good wide receiving core. I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's a pretty decent wide receiving core. He has Jonathan Taylor, and you know he had Corderell Patterson, who was known for uh, as a special teams player uh, th- throughout most of his career, and as like a wide receiver slash uh, part time. Ha- um, running back type of player he had that as his starting running back so obviously he's upgraded in terms of players he's upgraded in terms of coaching and ryan Tannehill is in danger of losing his spot to malik willis and i'm going to get into this more in the uh boom and bust player segment of this episode there's a sneak peek um that's pro that's there's one of the reasons why i think matt ryan is going to have a better season than ryan Tannehill because ryan Tannehill ha- 
Ryan Tannehill has more of a danger to uh, to his starting position than Matt Ryan has. Yeah, I just think that the Colts roster is better than the better than the uh, Titans. Even though I'm going to get into this a little bit more, the Titans did have a better defensive output in certain aspects, but Carson Wentz really let down the Colts, um, and Matt Ryan is definitely an upgrade from Carson Wentz. So. That's why I think the Colts are going to be the number one team in this division, followed up closely by the Titans. Now, I'm not saying that that the Colts are better than the Titans by leaps and bounds. I think it's it's really like the uh, AFC West, where the top two teams can be anybody between the Chiefs and the Broncos and, and the Chargers, really. like It's really close competition. Uh, and the same thing in the AFC South. The, the Colts and the Titans are really close in terms of their competition. I just pick, I just think that the Colts are going to be better. Um, because you have upgraded at QB from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. Um, <clears throat> and so I think Colts are probably going to win, I'd say, 11 games. Titans are going to win either 10 to 11 games, and it's going to end up in a tiebreaker between these two. Uh, then I think the third team in this division is so tough for me. Because both the Texans and the Jaguars are still rebuilding. They have a new head coach. They have rookie QBs coming off of subpar seasons, to say the least, who've shown flashes of succession. Um, And especially in the preseason, the Texans have really shown that. I think they're undefeated in the preseason this year, uh, where the Jaguars are not. And as we saw last year, the difference between the Texans and the Jaguars was one win, right? The Texans won one more game than the Jaguars. And I am hopping on the Trevor Lawrence hype train. Oh! So I'm going to go with the Jaguars as my third team in this division. And I'm going to say that they're not a winning team, that's for sure. But I'm going to say that they win six to seven games. And the Texans, I think they still need some more improvement, um, especially on the offensive line, right? If you take a look. Now, they did bring in A.J. Khan um, or A.J. Khan from, from the Jaguars. So they did have that improvement. They also drafted Kenyon Green. So they do have that. Um, they picked up. Like I'm going to get into this more in the offseason acquisitions, but they have made some moves. I don't know if Davis Mills is the answer. Like he did show, um, he did he did show flashes of succession, but you know, also their receiving core is not that great. Um, and so I. I'm just going to hop on to the Trevor Lawrence type train and hope for the best. And uh, that's why I think the Jaguars are going to be better than the Texans, but only by like a game. It's it's really close. Like there, there are two tiers of teams in the AFC South. You have the tier one teams and the Colts and the Titans who have finished rosters and who are playoff caliber teams. And then you have tier two teams that are not playoff caliber, not winning teams, but are on the rebuild. And that's the Texans and, and the Jaguars. And so... I just think that the Jaguars are going to be better, and they're probably going to win seven games. Texans, probably six to seven games, but probably six. 
Um, and so that is going to be my rankings for this upcoming season. Colts win this division at a, or at 11 games. Titans come close, probably lose in a tiebreaker, uh, winning 10 to 11 games. Jaguars number three, Texans number four. And that is pretty much it in terms of rankings from my side. What about you, Dr. Chuck? Um, wow. Yes, I think I think um this is one of the moments where I I think I might I may have to literally do a cut and paste, but I might give the edge over to the Titans. Hear me out. I would trust the Titans a little bit more because Derrick Henry is returning back and some of the additions that they made like getting Hassan Haskins and and the question mark that is trailing Burks. <laughs> Oh my god, I really can't stop laughing about this. <laughs> I don't even think I can finish this part. Let me just calm down for a bit. But but I would think like with Mike Rape with Mike Rabel like emphasizing more on that defense, I think the Titans defense is it will be the one of the things that will stand out. And and I and I understand that they made some really good they they made some really good additions. Um <clears throat> And they and they made some really good additions back to the um <clears throat> on their defense. And with that, Matt Ryan is also approaching at that forty year at that forty year old, old marks. And oh he's getting at that age where uh, where he where there'll be like some where his game will be off for a bit. He's definitely not a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers like level era, but he can play very well. So it would be very so the game between the Titans and the Colts is going to be between like it's going to be a tiebreaker. There'll be the series will be split, but I'll definitely have to give an edge over to the Titans because I would trust Derrick Henry a lot more than I would with Jonathan Taylor. Although Tra- Taylor will definitely um, is like a huge offensive threat, and he should have been um, he should have been offensive MVP. I don't know why, but. Apparently that's what it is, and and also I would think that the Colts gotten a little bit better on defense with some uh, with some great offseason acquisitions and Steve and Stephon Gilmore and of course Rodney McLeod. Then third, I would go with the Jacksonville Jaguars because a fellow Eagles legend in Doug Peterson, he's returning back to coaching and he'll be coaching a second year Trevor Lawrence, second third year Trevor Lawrence. And I think this is the best. I think this is has to be the best situation that Trevor Lawrence can be in. And with a couple of late late additions and some and some interesting first round picks, which I will get to later, like in and Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd and Chad Moma, they literally went like linebacker, 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 and some and some interesting moves that they made in the free agency especially with the Christian Kirk deal that shocked the world. I'll get to more details on that, ladies and gentlemen. And some interesting acquisitions on defense, they definitely may, they'll definitely win more games than the Houston Texans. And the Texans are definitely at, at last place because as much as David, Davis Mills improved, I mean, their, their only offensive weapon they have is in Brandon Cooks. And unfortunately with John Meshi, he is currently out battling leukemia, so get well, brother. And the only and with Lovey Smith, Lovey Smith is more of a defensive-minded coach. And for those that don't remember, he was one of the defensive 
He brought that defensive mentality to a Chicago Bears team that took them straight to the Super Bowl before losing them out to the Colts with a backup QB like with a quarterback like Rex Grossman. And but since then he has kind of lost some of that edge and he went back to college and with um Illinois Urbana Champagne. But now that he's now that he's back with the Texans, it's gonna be very interesting to see what kind of ES he's gonna run in for offense. And their only strengths that I see that they're gonna do a lot better in is gonna be their defense. And and some of the signings like Steven Nelson and some draft picks like a Jalen Petra and Derek Singley Jr., those can be immediately starters and can make good impact players. But I honestly I, I honestly don't see the Texans winning more games than the Jaguars. And, and and that's where they're unfortunately in because it's going to be a rebuilding season for Davis Mills. So overall, I have the Titans edging out the Colts by a game. And it's going to be in the hands of Derrick Henry and a healthy offensive line. And, and the Titans possibly getting an, a free agent wide receiver that will come up later. And then I would go with the Colts, then Colts second place off by a game because you have Matt Ryan losing some of that um that two that um of that Super Bowl run that he had with the Falcons and although he has a lot more weapons to work with he will definitely he'll definitely be a team to put um a quarterback that can lead that could give them a couple of wins in the playoffs like one or two wins probably a wild card or even a divisional round and then, uh, and then again, Jaguars because and Doug and Doug Peterson that we trust, Trevor Lawrence is going to take a huge step forward. And some of the acquisitions are that I that I saw from the Jaguars, I I kind of like. And last but not least, Houston Texans. I mean, they're in a rebuilding season. Lovey Smith, he's a first. Lovey Smith is returning back after a long time, and um, it's just going to be pure rebuilding. So these are my takes. Awesome, awesome. So now let's get started with the off-season acquisitions and firing segment. I'll go first. In terms of players that they've re-signed, the Colts have re-signed Mo Ali Cox to a three-year deal, as well as Zaire Franklin, who is a um, a linebacker, an off-ball linebacker, complementary to um, Darius the Maniac Leonard, Mo Ali Cox being their starting tight end. And then in terms of players that they drafted, they did draft um, tackle Bernard Raymond and wide receiver Alec Pierce, who I really think is going to, um, you know, show up on the scene very quickly in this year, especially given that they're the closest starting receiver is Michael Pittman, who's in a second year, Paris Campbell, who's shown flashes but hasn't been really consistent. And outside of that, they don't really have, like, they, they lost. Um, they did draft Alec Pierce. They drafted a backup QB in Jack Cohn. And they drafted a backup tight end in Jelani Woods. Just furthering and giving more um, weapons to uh, for Matt Ryan to throw to. Now, they did lose out on Marlon Mack. And because of that, they signed Philip Lindsay. They also signed Stefan Gilmore to a two-year contract. So that is a very important pickup that they had. Um, they also signed Nick Foles as the backup to Matt Ryan. Nick Foles! Um, we yep. love you, Billy. 
And they also signed Matt Hawk after the Bills let Matt, Matt Hawk go. So they do have him. Now, in terms of the players that they've traded, the biggest one of this offseason was getting rid of Carson Wentz. And they <laughs> traded Carson Wentz away to the commanders for a box of Cheetos. Uh, basically, just a bunch of picks. Um, I do. I really don't want to get into it because it's like a bunch of like uh, mid-tier picks, not like first or second rounders, like the Russell Wilson trade. But yeah, so they traded Wentz away for picks. They also traded away Rakisin as their uh, from cornerback depth to get Yannick Ngakwe. So now their pass rush is actually pretty good. They have DeForest Buckner coming in from uh, in, in terms of the uh, from the center center from the defensive tackle position. They have now Yannick Ngakwe. They have Bobby Okariki. They also have Quiddy Pay from last year's draft. And they have uh, Darius Leonard. I think he's now changed his name to Shaquille Leonard. Um, that's oh. what the ESPN roster says. Uh, so there is that. But they have him in terms of blitz uh, blitz scenarios. So they have a pretty decent pass rush now. So they do have that now. And another big change that they did have uh, was losing Matt Eberflus, their defensive coordinator, who left for Chicago. They then hired Gus Bradley, the defensive co uh, coordinator from, I believe, the Chargers. Um, and they hired him as their defensive coordinator, coordinator now to replace Matt Eberflus. And then they also hired Reggie Wayne, their famous wide receiver, to be the wide receiver's coach. And a thing about Reggie Wayne, in 2018, he was actually there as a volunteer wide receiver's coach. So now he's there for permanently. So that is good, you know, keeping keeping their talent in-house. So oh, yeah, they do have that. Yeah, and so that's pretty much it in terms of the biggest offseason acquisitions and firings from the Colts section, you know. The biggest thing is they traded away Carson Wentz. They upgraded in terms of the QB um, to Matt Ryan. They re, uh, you know, they added some more pieces in the draft in terms of receiving. They traded for some pass rush, and they uh, changed out their uh, coaching positions. And uh, they had some major moves in that scenario. But other than that, that's pretty much it. What about you, Lakshad? What about the Jaguars? Oh, um, yeah, for sure. But like, um, before I get on with the Jaguars, don't forget, the Colts also got a, an ex-Eagle safety in Rodney McLeod. So I salute you, my man. I salute yeah, they Rodney. did do that. They did do that. Yeah. But um, anyways, um, back to the Jaguars. I want to say the biggest, the biggest um, off-season change that they made overall was getting rid of Urban Meyer quickly as possible. I think that was like a great A effort, don't you think, Anand? Yep. Oh yes. I think everyone in America can can agree that Urban Meyer is not is not and does not deserve to be a head coach after that stunt he pulled off in Jacksonville. And nearly, and I and I honestly, honestly thought he like he like nearly killed off um, Trevor Lawrence's career. That's a hot take from me, but. I'm going to say as it is, he did not provide the proper support in terms of like getting the proper weapons, the proper coaching. And 
and Lauren and Trevor Lawrence paid the price for it. But now the biggest change that they got was it, and I'm going to start and 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 I'm starting with the offensive coaches complete overall and instead they get a legend in Doug Peterson. Dougie P, welcome back to coaching, my man. And remember remember Jaguars friends, you should be excited about this because Doug Peterson he he although he played um I could talk about his his career as a backup to the likes of Brett Favre and winning a Super Bowl ring when Favre as a player as a backup player to Brett Favre when the when the Packers won that ring and the, and I can also talk about him being a being an assistant coach under Andy Reid when he was with the Eagles and the Chiefs but the biggest one I want to talk about from 2016 to 2020 he led my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, as head coach, took, took a team broken by Chip Kelly and led them to that promised land and won a Super Bowl ring against, the, I believe, one of the greatest players of all time in Tom Brady with a backup QB and a trick play. I am going to beat that drum as much as I can. So, <laughs> so I'm saying, Jacksonville, you got yourself a stud coach. And, of course, he brought him back and I want to say some of the players, some of the co- this, the coaching staff that he brought up with, um, notably a certain Press Taylor offensive coach, who I believe he used to be the the wide receiver coach with the Eagles, but um, back in the day. So, and also, so and if and if I want to, and I think that's like one of the main. Um, <clears throat> and, and another notice that I saw was I believe it's another moment in her story. Elizabeth Mayer has been selected as assistant to the head coach. So it so um definitely congratulations to Elizabeth May on the move. And I think overall this helps the Jaguars front office look so much cleaner. So good job, Shad and Tony Khan on this one. But in terms of players, some of the free agent signings that I thought was very big, um, they re-signed I th- I have to talk about Brandon Share, guard from who 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 signed with the with the Jaguars he played right guard for the Commanders and 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 basically he's an elite player so virtually no risk but he missed 22 games the past four seasons but he provides that offensive line help and not only that they were able to get like they were they were able to re-sign um Will Richardson for a one-year deal Cam Robinson three-year deal extension and they all and, and and the biggest and I thought one of the biggest um signings that they got to and I thought and here are and but I thought like some of the biggest free agent signings they got and I think this pulled off and and I think this was the the move that changed the entire wide receiver offseason. You know what I'm talking about? Um, it's that Christian Kirk deal, 84 millions for four year deal. I don't know what Trent Balky, the the GM for the Jaguars, was doing, but Basically, they took off. I mean, basically, you're getting more help for Trevor Lawrence. Another one was Evan Ingram, tight end from the Giants, one year, one year deal. And and I think like these were like, and of course Darius Williams, he's he joins he joins the Jaguars for three years after playing in the Super Bowl with the Rams. So yes, he brings over quote unquote Super Bowl experience, but. Yeah, Jacksonville going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, not yeah, in my dreams, literally. But some of the biggest draft picks that I saw was of course 
first round pick getting Trayvon Walker, who I whom I thought was not who I thought they should have gotten with Aiden Hutchinson, but he apparently defensive end or defensive tackle from from that Georgia defense and and a monster pass rusher. Then they upgrade with and they literally go linebacker linebacker with Devin Lloyd and Chad Mumma. And they also, and one notable selection that they got was a man named Snoop Corner. Anand, what do you think of the name Snoop Corner? Just one thing. Just give me your one thought on that. Yeah, I think that's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> it's a funny name. It's unique, definitely unique. Yeah, I mean, along with Smoke Monday, dude. But hey, you know what? I'm I'm fine with I'm fine as long as it get played. One trade that they made was actually with the Packers. They got Cole Van Lannan, the offensive lineman for an undisclosed draft pick, and then one of the retirees that they they um, Brandon Liner, their current center, was retired. So they were able to get Tyler Shatley, Shatley, and sign him for like two years. And another big and some of the biggest releases that they saw was DJ Chark, um, wide receiver Miles Jack, Andrew Norwell, AJ Can, and Traven and Taven Bryan. And I mean, like those names are like would be like unimportant except for DJ Shark and Miles Jack. And Miles Jack, I believe he's now with the with the Patriots or um, some other team. But then again, it's a Jaguars, so it's more of a question mark. But the biggest move that I honestly thought they made was getting Doug Peterson in immediately, and that's really going to help their that's really going to help their team outlook so far. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So now on to the Texans. In terms of players that they've re-signed, they did re-sign their defensive tackle in Malik Collins. So he's staying there as a number one defensive tackle. You know, Ross Blacklock, the guy that they drafted a long time ago, I think a couple years ago, he hasn't really shown flashes that uh, consistency that they need for him to be a number one D tackle. So that's why they had signed Malik Collins, I think, from the Ravens, if I'm not wrong, before uh, before he came on to... No, sorry. <clears throat> was the player? Raiders. Malik Collins. He was the oh, defensive yeah. tackle on the Raiders, and before that, he was there on the Cowboys. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so they re-signed him. They re-signed Christian Kirksey, who was the inside linebacker that was there on the Packers before we signed Devondre Campbell. And we had let Christian Kirksey go, uh, I think, after the 2019 season. So after that uh, uh, 49ers um, debacle. Then uh, they also re-signed Desmond King and your Eagles linebacker, Camus Grugier-Hill. Um, yep. And then they also picked up the fifth year option on Titus Howard. And so, you know, as I mentioned before, their uh, offensive line is rounding up into shape. Um, you know, their starting offensive line is like Laramie Tunsil on the left tackle. It should be Kenyon Green instead of Justin McCray. I mean, Justin McCray has a veteran experience, but I think Kenyon Green should be the starter there on left guard. Uh, center is Justin Britt. Right guard is AJ Khan who they picked up from the Jaguars, I believe, and then Titus Howard, who they've just uh, picked up their fifth-year option on in, in their right tackle. That's a pretty decent. It's it's a pretty decent uh, offensive line, I'm not going to lie. And then they 
drafted, you know, as we all saw in that live draft reaction for our listeners that we had, they drafted Derek Stingley as the first cornerback to go. Like we all predicted it was going to be Sauce Gardner, but man, Derek Stingley went first with the number three overall pick. They then picked uh, Kenyon Green in the mid first round. Uh, they also picked Jalen Petre, safety uh, from Oregon um, uh, in, in, in the second round. Then John Mechie, as uh, Rakshak mentioned before. All the best to you, John Mechie, in, in recovering from, your, uh, from cancer. Um, and Damian Pierce, the running back out of Florida. Now, uh, uh, reports coming in from the uh from camp and from preseason is that damian pierce is actually be is actually going to be the number one running back and not marlon mack who they got yeah who they got from from the colts and it says so on espn's depth chart as well damian pierce is the number one running back going forward because he's shown all of that flash and sizzle um that they would want from a running back from a number one running back coming uh out of the preseason reports so they do have that now in terms of free agents that they signed they signed jerry hughes and mario addison as um edge players well not edge players defensive end players um to be more precise uh to just improve that pass rush rotation between malik collins jonathan grenard jerry hughes and mario addison uh they do need to draft someone who's younger because Jerry Hughes is old. Mario Addison is also old at 34. Oh um, my God. Yeah. Johnson Grenard is the younger one at 25. Um, last year he had, you know, roughly 23 solo tackles, eight sacks and two uh, forced fumbles. So not bad, but definitely it's, it's going to improve, improve now that Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison are there to support him. Um, and they also went and signed Steven Nelson to be the, um, complimentary corner to Derek Stingley. Huh. So they have Derek Stingley as number one corner, Steven Nelson as number two, Desmond King as your slot corner. And so that's a pretty decent top three. Now we have to see how Derek Stingley performs, especially after missing out in the last year of, of his college career because of injuries. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see how he performs there. You know, all, all the best to him. And, uh, as I mentioned before, they drafted, uh, they also signed AJ Khan and Marlon Mack. And in terms of coaching and front office changes, they fired David Cully after one year of just one year of being the, um, yeah. The, and they then hired Lovey Smith. Um, who was, who's been around the league. I mean, he was there on the Bears and the Bucks and just like a bunch of different other teams. He's had successes, he's had failures. And so we'll see if he can really turn around the Texans team and uh, make them into, you know, in, in, in a couple years, make them a playoff contending team. We'll see, we'll see. And then they also had Romeo Cornell, um, a long, long time uh, defensive coach, retire. And Romeo Romeo Cornell has been in the league for a long, long time, and he just retired this past season. So, yeah, this off season, yeah. So that's pretty much it from the Texans. They made some good moves. Uh, I really think that the best move that they made was drafting 
Kenyon Green uh, and Derek Stingley. They also signed Steven Nelson to further solidify that corner position. Uh, and they re-signed some of their key players like Desmond King, picking up the fifth-year option on Titus Howard, retaining Malik Collins, <clears throat> you know, uh, retaining Christian Kirksey is decent, and, uh, you know, solidifying that offensive line a little bit more by getting A.J. Khan. So they made some good moves. We'll see if they can execute their plan a little bit more um, in, in a more efficient manner. Um, but as I mentioned in my rankings, I just don't think it's enough because – we really have to see all these pieces come together into one um, efficient execution. Um, otherwise, it's it's not going to be that it's not going to be that great. So, yeah, that's pretty much it from the Texans. What about the Titans, Chuck? Yes, and before I get on with the Titans, I actually have some breaking Demakadar news for you, my man. And this actually has to deal with the AFC South. Apparently, there was a trade that happened. The Carolina Panthers today they acquired another playmaker for Baker Mayfield. They traded with Jacksonville for wide receiver Lavishka Chenault Jr. So Trevor Lawrence, I don't know, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, the Panthers will be sending undisclosed draft compensation to Jacksonville, and Chenault carries a 1.3 million cap hit in 22, and 1.66 cap hit million in cap in 23. This was. And this trade was made 24 hours before the NFL teams are uh, before the 53-man deadline was to happen. So that's a bit of breaking news I wanted to share with you. And then, but now let's go on with the Tennessee Titans. Some some of the biggest, uh, I mean, there is not a lot the Titans can do, but uh, but then again, the Titans are like the Eagles' favorite customers in 2020 in the 2022 offseason. And I'll get the and I'll get and and I'll and I'll show you why they're they're like why the Eagles can work with them so much easily, but some of the big moves that they re-signed was was um was re-signing Jeff Swam Jeff Swam, am I saying this right? Jeff Swam, S W A I M, Swam, Swam. Yeah, Tides fans don't um don't shoot the messenger. I'm I'm trying my best to like draw to like pronounce it perfectly. And then they and then they also they extended Jeff Swaim and Austin Hooper two tight ends, and they also re-signed Ben Jones, and also with Harold Landry and Landry and Randy Bullock, and Randy Bullock being a significant player because he is the Titans' long-term kicker. And they also got and they um and, and another big one was was um signing AJ Moore to a one-year deal. And it fills that veteran safety, the veteran safety core special teams, because the because the Titans didn't re-sign um, Dane Cruikshank or Matt Matthias Farley, so I think this is like a low risk deal, but definitely good. And some of the and in some and and in some of the players that the Titans drafted, the most notable ones that I see are is a Mr. Traylon Burks, first round pick. I'll get to, to the reason why the um, in who in exchange for who the Titans traded with. Then another another big name I saw was Roger McCreary, cornerback from Auburn, second round, and which I thought, which I thought he was like I, and definitely one of the, one of the top corners um, with the SEC experience. And then you're and then to bolster that Derrick Henry 
running back room. They get Hassan Haskins from Michigan. I thought that a running back, and I thought that was like an underrated. That's an underrated um draft pick because the Titans love to build on that run game. It's definitely going to help out. And I and and last and and I thought one of the most important ones was getting Malik Willis. My God, that was a big move to like to, because this shows that Ryan Tannehill his days are going to be numbered. And and I'm and guess what, Anand, I have a beat the dull moment for you. I am predicting mid-season Malik Willis is going to be the starter for the Tennessee Titans. He may sit out for a couple of games, but mid-season, Tannehill is going to be off in his game because some of the decision making that he's been making, some of the decision making is really poor. And Mike Rabel is going to be like, you know what? I've had enough of this. Let's go with Malik Willis. Try something new. That's what's going to happen. And and last but not least, they got Theo Jackson safety to build up on that room. And one of the biggest signings that they got was Robert Woods. Who is, uh, and unfortunately, um, this is Robert Woods who suffered a torn ACL with on November 13th with the, with the Rams, and 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 basically he's gonna be the num- he's soon to be the number one pick, I mean the number one wide receiver for the Titans because one of the biggest trades that they got that happened for Traylon Burks was they gave up a first and a third round pick is because they got that first and third round pick from the Eagles in exchange for A.J. Brown. So, good job. Good job. <laughs> oh, man. I could, like, I can, uh, I, I still find it funny, like, how the, how the hell the Titans pulled off that, and the Eagles pulled off that trade during the draft. And also, in exchange for Robert Woods, the Titans gave up a 2023 six-round pick to the Rams. And, one player that they got retired was Buster Screen, cornerback. He's been old. And two big departures from free agency that I saw was Julio Jones, wide receiver, who is now going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bucks, stop doing this to us. And Dante Foreman, running back to the Panthers. Um, those were some of the two big moves that I saw. And, and in terms of offensive, uh, for, for offense, no, excuse me. And in terms for office and coaching changes, um, they see a new addition to the rock into into as Tim Kelly will now serve as a passing game coordinator for the Texans. So he so um so he's probably going to be here in order to help Ryan Tannehill get his mechanisms working with the passing game along with Malik Willis because Malik Willis he is a dual threat. He can run. He can throw. And I think with the, with the way NFL offenses are like evolving, that we're, we're going to see a lot more of those dual threat, those dual threat um, quarterbacks, and in which like the running game is going to be like le- less reliant on. So that's I think that's going to be one that's going to be an, that's an interesting change in getting Tim Kelly though. So these are uh, so these are some of the moves that that the Titans uh, made. So on to you, Anant. Alrighty, so that concludes our off-season acquisitions and firing segment. And now on to the segment where we talk about what each team can improve on from last year. And I'll get started. In terms of the Colts, <clears throat> in terms of the offense, they had the eighth highest 
pressure rate um, in all of the NFL in terms of the offense. So they allowed 25.7% of their offensive snaps to be uh, to turn into pressures. Now, this can be a confusing stat because traditionally, it, like if you think about having a high pressure rate, uh, that that typically means like your offensive line is not doing a good job, or your or your quarterback is holding the ball a long time so that the pressure can come in and you know and and pressure the QB. Now, a high pressure rate is not necessarily indicative of a bad offense because the Bills were also ninth in the high pressure rate category, but they also had 50 scrambles. So we know that Josh Allen is mobile. So this it is very contextual in terms of this one data point. But generally speaking, it is indicative of a bad offense and vice versa. A low percentage doesn't necessarily mean it's a good offense <clears throat> because the Steelers had the third high, uh, third lowest pressure rate. But um, obviously the Steelers were not a good offensive team as we can all attest to. And so, and, and and the reason why they had such a low pressure rate is because their pocket time was 2.1 seconds. So the average amount of time that the quarterback spent in the pocket was 2.1 seconds, which is ridiculously fast, right? If you th Ooh. if you really think about it, and that's why like there wasn't enough time for the pressure to even get there, regardless of like the offense offensive line being terrible, and that's one of the reasons why the Steelers' offense was so terrible because they couldn't hold the ball long enough to throw it deep and they had to throw it short and the defenses knew that and that's why they could smother them so having a low pressure rate doesn't necessarily mean a good offense and having a high pressure rate doesn't necessarily mean a bad offense i did want to maintain that but 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 generally speaking it is indicative of those trends and so that is something that they have to improve on um now i think matt ryan can be the solution to uh, can be a solution to this uh developing an offensive scheme that allows the passer to be more proactive um and like hold the ball a little bit less um <clears throat> and uh just improve on the offensive line in terms of uh, offensive line protections so maybe we we can maybe they can change change the scheme to introduce more uh more protection packages more like more six man or seven man protection packages build more of a um more play action maybe that the uh quarterback can go out of the pocket um and you know just obviously Matt Ryan is better than Carson Wentz so you still have that that is one thing that they have to improve on on defense uh, on offense, excuse yep. me. On the defensive side, they also have to improve on pressure rate because as bad as they were on the offense, it gets even worse on the defense. They were second to last in terms of defensive pressure rate, which led to the fifth highest, uh, which is one of the reasons why it led to the fifth highest passing touchdown rate in the NFL. So if you were a passer and you wanted to throw a touchdown, face the Colts defense. You know, the Jets, the New York football Jets had a higher pressure rate than the Indianapolis Colts. Did you know that? What? The Jets they had, had a pre higher pressure rate than the Colts. Okay. I'm li I, 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 I don't know what to say about this. <laughs> that's why, that's why the Colts went out and they got so many players, right? 
that's that's why the Colts went out and they got um who was it? That that's why they went out and they traded for Yannick Ngakwe is to help on that pressure rate. That's why they also went out and got Stefan Gilmore to help um you know with the passing coverage. Yeah. And so and that's why they also drafted Bernard Raymond to, you know, beef up that offensive line in terms of their rotation. So they've made some of the moves to uh, improve on this, but they re- we need to really see this in execution. You cannot you cannot have a lower pressure rate than the Jets and hope to be in the playoffs. That's not possible. Okay, it's not possible. You have to improve on that. In terms of the Jaguars, um, it's really like the Urban Meyer era is just. <laughs> something that you just lock into a box, throw the box into the Marianas Trench and hope that it never floats up. Like, no, or even you better. just have to forget it. No. Or just put it on the Artemis 1 rocket, right? The SLS rocket that's going on to the moon right now and hope that the rocket just dumps that box on the moon. But here's the question, but here's the update, man. The the rocket the rocket has not launched yet because there's been some technical issues. Could that be oh, because no. of the talks that they had with Urban Meyer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that's why. You know, Jacksonville's right there, right? In uh, yeah. Cape Canaveral. You know, just he, like eight hour drive. <laughs> they just can't get rid of Urban Meyer. And and you know what I say with the box? You could just dump it to the Washington Commander. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. They are the dumpster fire of the league. Anyways. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, let's get serious. In terms of the Jaguars, on the offensive side, they had the third highest bad throw percentage. So roughly one out of five throws that Trevor Lawrence made was categorized as a bad throw or a throw that, you know, wasn't... Um, targeted to or the wide receiver whether it's and it's basically indicative of bad accuracy and so when you have that uh it's really it's really you know trevor lawrence stuck in a bad scheme with urban meyer um it's also indicative of like trevor lawrence having to improve and it's a rough start out of the gate but i really believe that he can improve and he's shown flashes of that in the preseason especially in one of the games where he was like six for six or someone or like some insane like accuracy rate in one of the drives. And it really shows that with the right and proper scheme, you can have a really good quarterback play. And so I really think that Trevor Lawrence has the, he has all the talent. He has a rocket arm. He's real. he's really mobile. He's tall. Um, you know, he's, he's really good. So he can do that. Um, just give me one minute. All right, I'm back. So, that's it in terms of the offense from the Jaguars. In terms of the defense, uh, remember last episode you mentioned the Bills were notorious for missed tackles? Yeah. You know who had the second highest missed tackles? Oh, God. I think the I know Jaguars. Going. Oh. 130 missed tackles on the season. Oh, my God. 130. Oh. Oh, that's got to hurt. So that is something that has to be um, drilled is proper tackling formation and make sure that you actually wrap up and tackle your uh, opponent. So that's something that has to be drilled on a basic uh, standpoint. You cannot... You cannot have 130 missed tackles on the on the season. Like that's something that you have to be better. So like the theme of the Jaguars' improvement 
is changing the scheme, right, in terms of the yeah. offense, change, changing the scheme so that you can suit Trevor Lawrence's powers, which is a really powerful arm. So maybe you uh, – and mobility. So maybe you uh, – you know, mimic some of the uh, some of the schemes that they had up in Buffalo, right? Where you have a run game by using uh, your running backs and Travis Etienne and James Robinson and Trevor Lawrence as your running back, because he is one, right? He's mobile enough to be a uh, Josh Allen type of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then focus on having like big throws. Uh, and so now they do need to like. Christian Kirk is no Stefan Diggs. So <laughs> uh, I don't know if they thought that he would be, but he's not uh, uh, for a reason. But hey, you um, know what? But hey, yeah, that's, that's something that they can improve on. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. And, and I have to and I have to admit, the Jaguars really changed the NFL this year because of that Christian Kirk deal. Without exactly. that deal, you would have not seen A.J. Brown go to the Eagles or – or Devontae Adams go to the Raiders, maybe. Or Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins. Exactly. There you go. It really opened the floodgates. Um, but yeah, so that's what the Jaguars can improve on. In terms of the Texans, um, they were also uh, in need of QB accuracy. And this time, they were seventh worst in the league in terms of on-target throws percentage which was at 73.7%, which may not seem like a big deal, but it is something that you can work on where if you only throw like three quarters of the time accurately and on target, you do have to improve on that. Uh, and this is actually why uh, uh, one of the reasons why it led to them having the fifth worst passing expected points at minus 7.51 points. So historically speaking, if they, uh, like based on historical data, uh, in those given um, passing situations that the Texans faced, they would have expected to lose a touchdown. Like that's that's how bad of those, uh, that's how bad of a passing attack they had. And so that has to be something that they can improve on. Um, and we see that they did improve the offensive line a little bit. Um, and it's just like, I don't know if it's enough because besides Brandon Cooks, they don't have anybody else, uh, in terms of their, in terms of, uh, pass catchers. Um, because if you look at their depth chart, right. Yeah. Um, here are the receivers. You have Brandon Cooks. That's good. Then okay. you have Nico Collins, Chris Conley, Chris Moore, Philip Dorsett, Connor Weddington, Jalen Camp, and on and on and on. Obviously, John Mechie would have been there, but he's out. Breven Jordan is there and Farrell Brown. But, like, that's three possible – two possible receivers in Breven Jordan and Brandon Cooks. The others are, like, wide receiver fours and fives. Brandon Cooks is wide receiver one. They don't have a wide receiver two, somebody who can take the pressure off of Brandon Cooks. They just have a bunch of wide receiver three, fours and fives and sixes. And mm-hmm. so it's really like they really need a, a stronger complement to Brandon Cooks. Someone like, actually, so if Brandon Cooks is your typical like middle of the field uh, type of receiver, right? He is 5'10", 183. 
right? And so if, if he's that type of a receiver, then you get a, a, a like DK Metcalf was there. You could have traded for DK Metcalf. Yeah. That would have been a, a strong one-two combination. Brandon Cooks and DK Metcalf. But then my question, then my counter Draft point picks. Is, yeah, but I mean, like, could, uh, but but I highly doubt it because, like, there's even if they gave draft picks to the to the Seahawks to the Sea Chickens, I have to get the name right. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't think the Seahawks would be in a position because they got like they have like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. There's no chance, and part of my friendship, but there's no chance in hell they'd be giving away DK Metcalf. For a bunch of play, for not, it would have to be like a, it would have to be a trade package, draft picks, and a player that's recognizable. Mm. And okay. unfortunately, the Texans don't have that type of roster that screams that big player. Maybe, maybe an offensive lineman. They could have given up like Laramie Tunsil or someone like that. I don't know. Anyways, like it's it's something. OBJ is still there. Oh, OBJ yeah. is still there. He is still there, he folks. He's still on the market. Texans, make him an offer. He would be a good complimentary piece of Brandon Cooks. And it would be uh, one of the things that they can do to improve that passing efficiency. Uh, in terms of defense, we all talked about how uh, poor the Steelers' rush defense was. Guess who was right behind them? The Texans. Oh, God. They had the second <laughs> highest rushing yards per game allowed at 142.2 yards a game. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. I think this is the quote that says everything is bigger in Texas, and it happens to be <laughs> in Houston. <laughs> Hell, the Eagles can, can play them, and 10 out of 10 are rushing attack, which is the number one with Easily destroy the team. Exactly. Jalen Hurts wouldn't even need to throw. It would be like Jimmy Garoppolo versus the versus the Packers in the uh, NFC Championship. Just let the guy run, and you throw six times. Or literally, what they can do. Or you could be like that one um, Patriots Bills game in which the Patriots only threw like only passed like what four or five times, and they ran the ball. Exactly. 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 Yeah. That too. But yeah, um, <laughs> they have to improve on that. And they did by bringing in Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. Yeah, they're old, but they're good edge setters also. If you were to bring him in, and so maybe it'll hope, uh, maybe it'll help stem the uh, bloodbath that happens there every game. But um, yeah, that's something that they would have to improve on. In terms of the Titans, on the offensive side. They have to improve on pass protection because they allowed 47 sacks last year, which was the seventh highest in the league. Oh my! Now, God. that's also Ryan Tannehill, too. If you have Malik Willis, maybe because of his mobility, he'll escape out of those sacks a little bit more. And like you mentioned, Malik Willis should be the starting QB. <laughs> like that's, that's one of your beat the dull moments is like, Malik Willis being the starting QB halfway through the season, right? If, uh, yeah, he has wrong to. Check. Yeah. So maybe it'll help reduce that sack percentage um, or that sack total, but that is something that they would have to improve on in terms of pass protection. And then on the defensive side, the Titans were surprisingly good. They were like top 10 defense in various categories. 
I I had to um you know scour the stats to find something that they would have to be uh, improve uh, that they would have to improve on and really the the biggest thing that I found is that they would have to improve passing defense a little bit by uh, because um they were ranked 21st in the league um in terms of um uh adjusted net yards uh per uh game like that average statistic which if i'm gonna try and pull up the formula just give me one second okay oh, come on uh where is it passing defense any eight okay so adjusted net yards per pass attempt which the formula is you get your passing yards you subtract sack yards from that you add touchdowns multiplied by a certain multiplier in this case it's 20. Uh, you subtract interceptions by a multiplier and then you divide the entire thing by the amount of passes that you attempted plus the times that you've been sacked so it's really uh bringing the production value of a passing offense and more specifically the quarterback so in terms of defending the pass uh, uh the passing attack they were actually pretty good because they had a pretty low score of 5.9 net yards per pass attempt and so that's pretty good that gives them 21st rank um uh you know defense in terms of passing which is in the top 15 but it's not in the top 10 like i literally had to nitpick for some some things like i did with the buffalo bills um but yeah that is something that they can improve on so passing on both fronts in terms uh for the titans the offensive side pass protection the defensive side just passing defense in general um that's pretty much it from my side like the common themes that you would see like for example the jaguars is scheme both offensive and defensive schemes just have to be completely overhauled and we'll see like doug peterson's there he's going to completely overhaul the offensive scheme we just have to see the defensive scheme focus more on the uh more on the uh tackling formation so that has to be something if you look at the colts it's one area and that's pressure allowing pressure and generating pressure and then in terms of the defense it's really like the the uh sorry not defense the texans the texans is the differentiating factor because like their offensive defense you have to improve on different things on offensive side you have to improve on passing efficiency and accuracy on defensive side you have to improve on rushing defense but that is pretty much it from my side on what each team can improve on what about you doc definitely some very good points um these i think like um in terms of in terms of like of of what of what teams can improve on um i focused more on uh, on like some very small aspects not just for both not just offense and defense so just a bit of a heads up ladies and gentlemen and i think i think for the colts number like um the offensive from what i've understood from the colts like you, they they did the best move by by with Frank Reich acknowledging that Carson Wentz that he had to he had apparently Frank Reich had to apologize to Jim Mercy for putting that good word for to try and quote unquote improve Carson Wentz into the 2017 form 
But now with Matt Ryan as your quarterback and a Jonathan Allen and a Jonathan Taylor running type of offense, this is going to help the Colts offensive line major like big time because uh, I think um you told me about you told you brought up stats about pass blocking. Did you know that the Colts were ranked 30th in the NFL in uh, um in pass blocks? Uh, this is according to PFF. And one of the things that the Colts that that offensive line needs to do, you got they have to protect Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is not getting any younger. And 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 of course, now that you're getting Yannick, um, I think that's like the only that 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 was like the that's the only um improve, key of improvement I would have for the Colts. And and these and and of course the other part, you come on, you got to beat the Jags twice. Getting skunked by, I mean, getting swept by them with a via broomstick or a skunk, or getting skunked by them <laughs> in the regular season with Carson Wentz as your QB. Man, that that has to be embarrassing, and and I would also have to worry about um, how will the, and another part is how will the Colts um, do without Matt Eberflus because he had 33 takeaways in 2021, second to the Cowboys in, um, in to second to the Cowboys 34, but now with Eberflus going um, being replaced with Gus Bradley, it's going to be. I mean, definitely the Colts have some talent there. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of schemes Gus Bradley comes up with. And, and, uh, and with that, I will have to move on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did you know, Anna, that Trevor Lawrence was ranked dead last with six pass yards per attempt last year? Did you know that? No, I Did didn't. This is a first rounder from Clemson University, which has one, which is building up like a very storied program, and it's unfair to Trevor Lawrence to Trevor Lawrence's credentials because he was coached by the worst head coach, Urban Meyer, who should be, who I think, who's probably in that imaginary box that Anand has has pl- placed over in Jacksonville. I think I think if if, if he's still in that Artemis rocket and that rocket isn't launching is because of is because of urban (laughs) and okay that part you can cut off but anyways like with urban meyer gone you have doug peterson coming in as your head coach this is going to be very very huge for the for for trevor lawrence's development and and in case people don't forgot doug peterson took a first rounder in carson wentz Improved his passer rating from year one to year two, and which and like year one when Carson Wentz was under Doug Peterson, 2016, 2017, his year his passer rating was about 72, 73, 73.0, 73 point something. Year two in that MVP quote unquote MVP year, he go Carson Wentz rises to like almost like over over 100 pass over 100 point like passer rating before suffering that torn ACL against the Rams. And we all know what happened from there. Nick Foles comes in, takes over and leads the Eagles to a victory, to a Super Bowl victory. But, and one, and, and, um, and there's one thing that the Jaguars can definitely do. What Doug Peterson has done with the Eagles in from 2016 to 2017, the Eagles Titans led the NFL with 8.2 receptions per game, 
Did you know that? With combinations with Zach Ertz, Brent Selleck, and now a rising Dallas Goddard and, yes, Richard Rodgers, who is such a legend. And with the acquisition, with um, getting Dan Arnold and, and, and the signing of, Devin, of Evan Ingram, you're, I, think, though, I think if you involve that game, if you involve more of, more of those tight ends, or, the, or, the, or as the Eagles would love to do, using a two-tight two end option, having one tight end on one side and a tight end on the other, that's what they did. That's what the Eagles did with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard back then. But with a Trevor or with a Trevor Lawrence-led offense, you could prepare Dan Arnold and Evan Ingram as your two tight end blocker, blockers and pass catchers. It, this will definitely this will definitely help with um, with the, with more production for Trevor Lawrence. And 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 another stat that I saw: the Jaguars were negative twenty in turnover differential. One thing I have to say, protect the ball. Trevor Lawrence, you got Trevor Lawrence and the rest of the Jaguars. Protect the, protect the ball. And, that, and, and, of course, with Travis Etienne coming back from injury, and you should be back in action, he should, definitely help his, he should definitely help out his quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, a lot. So these are some of the, big, these are some of the moves that I thought will definitely help with the Jaguars. Texans. And I think you rightfully said 3.4 yards per carry, 80, almost like 84 yard, rushing yards per game, which was like what close to the bottom rank. That's that that's they were like like near dead last in rushing. Did you know that? Anand? Yeah, no, they were they were last. They were last in rushing. And that's sad. Yeah, and with the, with um, Damian Pierce and Marlon Mack coming in. And hopefully a better offensive line. That's what that's what I believe should that be one of the biggest improvements for the Texans. You got to get the you have to get the running the running game involved. Only then you'll have Dave, Davis Mills and your quarterback get better with his progressions. And and another stat that I saw. This is according to one of the Texans blog um, the news sites called Battle Red Blog. And I thought, and this was an, and this is their SB Nation Battle Red blog. Um, one big thing that I saw is that the offensive line did they did you know that their original starting five, the Texans' original starting five in the, uh, on their O line, just played just start, started just 46 out of a possible 85 times. The the offensive line, the O line has to stay healthy, given given more additions. I honestly think there's this is going to be a chance where it can help. It, it can definitely stay a healthy line and protect that QB. It's and of course with more of that running game, you got you. I mean, you have a combination of like what Rex Burkhead, a former guy from Plano, from Plano, from Plano Senior High School. Um, us for me being a Plano West guy. I mean, of course, love to see Plano Texas represent. And then rookie Damien Pierce. And and Marlon Mack, this is they have to have um they have to involve they have to involve those three running backs a lot more than just allowing Davis Mills to pass the ball. And then and and um that, those are like my main those are like my main picks for like what the Texans need to do in order to improve. And last but not least for the Tennessee Titans, honestly, Traylon Burks. Has a tall task ahead of him. He has to 
they right now the Titans are without a number one wide receiver. And with all due respect to Robert Woods, that man the guy's not it. I mean, Jeff Swain, Austin Hooper, those are all I mean, those are good at those are definitely good additions, but Nick Westbrook, Inkie, Traylon Burks, Robert Woods, Desvis, Patrick Kyle Phillips, Cody Hollister, Mason Kinsley, Derek Henry, um, Hassan Haskins. It's it's not gonna help. You need to acquire another wide receiver, and OBJ still in the market. So Titans, they have to get, they have to acquire a free agent wide receiver. And hell, if Jalen Rager is released, might as well take him. So. I am announcing the free Jalen Rager giveaway right now for NFL Masala. So any team that wants Jalen Rager, take him. We will give you some Skittles along with that. We will take we'll take donations in terms of Skittles, draft picks, or some deep defensive back that you don't want because we need to work out something. Yes, I'm desperate for that. But it's a but it's it's without lack of trying, and and another improvement that I would like to see the Titans do is um, I would like to see Malik Willis get more involved. I would like to see Malik Willis be involved in a couple of plays. Of course, he's not going to be starting, but but hopefully, with that beat the dole moment that I had in the middle of the season, he we may probably have to take it take in that rain. So. I need Malik Willis to be involved in those early plays if they're going to run like wildcat formation, or or if they're going to or they're going to have a, like do some kind of trick play in which Ryan Tent where um where Malik Willis lines up as a wide receiver and then you have um and, and then you and, and then you have like Ryan Tent throw to Willis then Willis throws a deep ball all of a sudden. I mean, like, if they can create some offensive play, uh, like, have some offensive creativity with Malik Willis, it'd be really nice to see him get more involved and learn more of the Titans' playbook. And then last but not least, Derrick Henry, he's got to stay healthy. And with that, those are my, those are my things to do for the Titans if they want to make it to, if, if they, if they want to, to fare well and not suffer the A.J. Brown <laughs> hangover. <laughs> I'm gonna come on the Titans for that, and of course, I gotta thank the uh, the Titans for taking Hugo Hugo Ombadi. So, thank you, Titans. It's a pleasure doing business with you as always. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Now on to the segment where we talk about the boom and bust players from this division. From my side, as I mentioned before, I am jumping on the Trevor Lawrence hype train, folks. Let's go, Jaguars. I really hope he's just in a bad scheme. As um, <clears throat> as Vuckchuk mentioned, Dougie P has done wonders, uh, or did wonders to Carson Wentz from improving from year one to year two, and I hope we see the same transformation with Trevor Lawrence because he has all the talent in the world that we saw in that preseason. All right, coming out of college into the NFL, he was touted as like, the guy who could surpass Andrew Luck in terms of the talent that he has at quarterback. Now, um, he didn't show that last year, obviously, but I really think that they can, uh, he can really improve and he, ha- he can have a bounce back season because, you know, they did bring in some receiving talent in Christian Kirk and getting Evan Ingram. They also have Travis Etienne back. 
And did I also mention no Urban Meyer? There, he doesn't have him. So yeah, I'm going to go all aboard on that Trevor Lawrence hype train. So here we go. Now, in terms of my bust player, it's another quarterback. Now, before I say who it is, I want to do a test with you, Chuck Chuck. So I have with me profiles of two QBs. I've picked three statistics. Any A, or the adjusted net yards average that I talked about earlier, which is like an overall productive standpoint from a QB. Interceptions and touchdowns. Now, I think that these are the three most important statistics for a um, for for QB. Obviously, there are other ones that can give a more holistic picture, but I think these three are, you know, pretty um, comprehensive in terms of giving us a good image of a QB. Now, QB one has a five point five three NEA. Um, stat. So 5.53 yards, adjusted net yards, average. They threw 21 touchdowns, sorry, yeah, 21 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Okay, that's QB1. QB2 had a 6.5 NEA average, so that's almost an entire yard more. They threw for 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. So half the interceptions, six more touchdowns, and almost a yard more average after taking into account sacks. Okay. Now, who is QB1 and who is QB2? Just guess who QB1 is. Hmm. I am going to say... Ooh. Okay, I'm going to guess QB1 is going to be Ryan Tannehill. All right. Okay, so now you are right. QB1 was Ryan Tannehill. So Ryan Tannehill, he had a 5.53 NEA average. He threw for 21 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Mediocre, right? Mediocre at best. Yeah, mediocre at best. Who is QB2? Let me tell you. Now, just to preface this, 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 6.5 NEA, right? Just keep that in mind. Okay. Okay. Who would you think it is? A good QB? Like uh, maybe Matt Ryan, you would have uh, similar stats to this. Maybe Derek Carr, you'd seem that he would have a similar stat to this. You know, maybe even Tua Tungvalu, he would have a pretty similar stat to this. None of these QBs. It is none other than Carson Wentz. Oh, my God. (laughs) Carson Wentz last year threw half the amount of interceptions as Ryan Tannehill, threw six more touchdowns than Ryan Tannehill, and averaged one more yard in terms of um, adjusted net yards than Ryan Tannehill. You want to tell me? You want to tell me that Ryan Tannehill is a better QB than Carson Wentz? Are you kidding me? That's why I think my bust player. (laughs) No, I know. I'm just talking about like in general, right? To to everybody out there. 
That's why I think Ryan Tannehill is going to be a bust this year. Like, he couldn't outperform Carson Wentz. Carson freaking Wentz. <laughs> what? Or or uh, or as a fellow member of um, Fourth and John would say, the ginger Jesus Carson Wentz. Exactly. There you go. He couldn't outperform him. Oh, my it, God. So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, my God. Like... I mean, when you were like, I, I mean, I just love that comparison that you put, man. Like, I want to, and of course, shout out to Anand for making this. Like, your knowledge is so wonderful. Your knowledge about the game, man, it like literally gives goosebumps, man. I love it, dude. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, but yeah, so now we've proven that Ryan Tannehill couldn't outperform. Carson Wentz, um, the writing's on the wall, right? They drafted Malik Willis. Malik Willis has been pretty, like, really, really good in the offseason. In the the preseason, Malik Willis also has um, capabilities that Ryan Tannehill doesn't, and that's a rushing game, right? Malik Willis is a really good rusher, uh, sort of like that Michael Vick type of, uh, you know, build Mm -hmm. that he has. He also has the arm that Michael Vick had, right? Malik Willis has a really deep arm. Um, And, you know, also Ryan Tannehill has failed in the playoffs repeatedly. So, you know, as I mentioned before, writing's on the wall. Ryan Tannehill is just not going to be a good year. Like, he's a good QB. I'm not going to lie. He's a good QB. Uh, Maybe in a better scenario, in, in a more winning team, he would probably perform better. I think Ryan Tannehill is in that Jimmy Garoppolo mold where you don't necessarily improve the offense around you and you need a good offense for you to succeed, a good scheme. Everything has to work pretty well for you to succeed. He's more mobile than Kirk Cousins is what I'll say. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. So that's that's my bus player. I'm all aboard on the Trevor Lawrence hype train this year. And I'm sad to say that Ryan Tannehill is not it this year. What about you, Doc Chuck? And before I say anything, Kirk Cousins fans, you like that? You like that? See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, I see, I see. Yeah, but okay. So, I mean, definitely your boom and bust players are like on point. I would tech, I would have basically gone with those two options, but. I had to look, but um, then again, like for me, when picking those boom bust players, it was actually a little bit difficult because I picked two players that I that I I honestly felt you could literally do like a reverse boom and a reverse bust. But hear hear me out, boom! I actually decided to go with Brandon Cooks. Technically not a boom, but I could definitely see some kind of uh, increase because um. He actually led the Texans last year with 90 receptions, 1,037 yards, six receiving touchdowns. And unfortunately, and I know like with Davis Mills um, approaching his second year, he will be a little bit more experienced. And, 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 and also they have to deal with the fact that Joe, John Mechie is, is out. And I know he's fighting leukemia. And, um, and honestly, John Mechie, get well. Beat cancer, Team NFL Masalas with you all the way, man. Sending you thoughts and prayers. Fight strong. But um, anyways, with Brandon Cooks, 
he will definitely be your like your he's like your best right your currently best wide receiver option and a safety blanket for Davis Mills. So so honestly, I could see his production go up a little bit more. But I'm not sure about the touchdowns about like the number of touchdowns he'll be he'll be um getting, but definitely I could see definitely um he's I could see Davis Mills relying a lot more on um on jo- <clears throat> on Brandon Cooks. And for my bust, Anna, this is going to shock you, which I think it's not actually a bust. It has to be Jonathan Taylor. The, okay. No, I now that I think of it, you're right. Like, it's hard. I mean, uh, I'm sure you'll talk about this, but like, it's kind of hard for a running back to repeat that type of success year after year. But yeah, yeah. go ahead. Definitely. And the reason being, like, the thing is, it's actually not a bust. But, and you can also say that you could reverse the positions, like Jonathan Taylor as a boom and Brandon Cooks as a bust. It could go either way. I mean, if you think about it. I mean, after all, if you were to take a comparison of the stats, 332 rushing yards, rushing attempts, 1,811 rushing yards, 18 touchdowns, all number one ranked last year in the 2021 averaging 5.5 yards per per attempt that is like i don't know why he did not win offensive player of the year which i think is a robbery but definitely like for those that are playing fantasy football definitely a first round pick the first pick but i could definitely see the rushing numbers like decrease a little bit because now that they actually have a pocket, an actual pocket passer in Matt Ryan, you, and it's going to be very hard for those numbers to dip. But to Jonathan Taylor and that offense is going to dominate a lot more. And you can and and and, and vice versa. Instead of rushing yards, you could might see a couple of passing yards increase a little bit more because Matt Ryan, because um, Matt, Matt Ryan is definitely a better QB than Carson Wentz. And of course, he's reaching like near that Philip Rivers type of age, but still playing at a high level, better weapons to work with. And, and which is why, like, I could see Jonathan Taylor not receive that much targets nor much rushing attempts. It's going to be based on the numbers and what Matt Ryan does with the ball. But either way, you can, like, either way, you can either reverse the boom and bust with Jonathan Taylor as a boom and Brandon Cooks as a bust because you have no idea what the, how the second year is going to be for Davis Mills. And, and, and if Frank Reich decides to say, hey, you know what, let's keep on running the ball more and Jonathan Taylor go all, go all haywire on the rest of the, a, on the AFC South. So that could possibly happen. This is like, this has to be like the, the, mo- the most difficult boom and bust for me, dude. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's difficult when you compare those two players because it could go either way depending on their scenarios. But yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that's that's a good segment, guys. So that's it for us today in terms of the boom and bust players from this division. And that's actually it for today for the entire episode. So if you guys have any questions, just hit us up at nflmasala at gmail.com, spelled as NFLMASALA at gmail.com and we're going to hit you guys with our signature outro go pack go and fly eagles fly see you guys next time <laughs>